Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Today I want to take apart this this saying of Jesus when he says in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to take a large millstone, hang it around their neck, and be drowned in the depths of the sea. How many of you would not like to die by drowning? I, I just want to wrestle with the question today, is your life a stumbling block? Let's pray. God help. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. One of the interesting questions of our day, of our culture, is the question of the goat. Who is the goat? In fact, I'll just go ahead and ask you guys, is it LeBron or Michael? All in favor of LeBron, say aye. All in favor of Michael, say aye. Aye. Wow. Aren't you guys cool? All right. Is it Messi or is it Ronaldo? Which one is it? Who would be willing to fight about this? Anyone willing to fight about this? All right, we got some people in the fight. Joao, who is it? Okay, okay. Zach, who lives in your neighborhood now? Isn't it messy? He's down in your neck of the woods now, right? So, I mean, if he's in Miami. We got to be rooting for him, right? Uh, is Serena the goat? What's the best action figure? Boba Fett or... Who said Roku? You said Grogu? Is that Baby Yoda? Everyone knows the greatest action figure ever is Boba Fett. Is it Boba Fett or Barbie? Which one of those two is? How many of you have seen the movie? Is it worth watching? (laughs) I find this question so interesting that the disciples are walking with Jesus for years. It's been years now, and their, their question is, Lord, who's the greatest? In the kingdom. And they don't even realize what a dangerous question that they're asking. And indeed, the way that we get into fights about this, obviously we are creatures of comparison, creatures of competition. It's not that we don't believe in caring and compassion. It's just if we're honest, our competition and our comparison 
usually has more sway than our care or compassion. And Jesus is going to really address that in this, in this passage where we're in as these disciples are asking who's the greatest. And he would say to them, and I would say to us, you, I don't know if you realize how toxic the question is and how toxic this line of thinking is because there's a root at the bottom of this question that is destructive to people, especially what he calls the little ones. Today's message really is about the little ones. Today's sermon is about the, the weak ones, the little ones, the vulnerable ones. He says, if anyone makes whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better. It's an interesting word, this word, making someone stumble. It was one word in Greek. We're reading this in English, but it was written in Greek. In the Greek, the language that the Bible, the New Testament was written in, it was a word that was often associated with being offended when someone's been offended, like if you make someone to stumble, it was the, a word that got used when you put something in someone's way, that someone's walking and, oh, they, they did not, well, you didn't see that was happening, and they, and they stumble and they trip, and there's a, there's a measure, he says, woe to those who make people trip, especially little ones. It's, it's one thing if you're making Mike Pat stumble because he's old enough to be able to walk, he should be, but when a child is learning to walk, what parent, what kind of parents would be sticking their foot out to make a kid stumble as they're learning to. Woe to those that look at little ones, vulnerable ones, weak ones, those that, that, that they're learning to walk. They can walk, but they're not fully there yet, and they're making them stumble. Jesus says something about little ones. And he says, the people that make them stumble, and he gives us this image. And what I've really enjoyed about this sermon series is it's been the difficult sayings of Jesus. These are the sermons that... I mean, there's a lot of Bible verses people tattoo on their arms or people, you know, right at the bottom of their back or right on the top of their shoulder. That there, There's a lot of tattoos. This is one of the verses I've never seen someone tattoo this verse on their skin. Woe to those who make people stumble. It'd be better if they got a millstone hung. I've never, can you put that picture up there? I've never seen a tattoo of this picture. I thought about getting some tattoo artists today just to go ahead and say, hey, I will pay for anyone that wants this tattoo and we're going to do it, and we're going to have it, but it's got to be big. It's going to be a nice big one right there. It was interesting, these millstones, these were, they would use them to grind things because obviously, as you can imagine, millstones were heavy in the first century when this is being written. And millstones, you would use them, you would grind things with them. There was all sorts of stuff. There were small millstones. There were large millstones. Jesus says, if you cause a little one to stumble, you'd be better taking a large millstone. And they tell us this would be roughly... 3,000, 3,500, so imagine 3,000 plus pounds. Jesus says, if you become a stumbling block and you make people stumble, you would be better off taking a 3,000 pound rock, put it around your neck, and jump into the water. Amen. If this wasn't, by the way, just a random thought because the Roman government actually would kill people. There actually was capital punishment. There was a death penalty, and one of the death penalties that would be used would be a death penalty where someone would be drowned with a rock. So what Jesus is describing is the death penalty. What Jesus is describing is saying, when you make little ones stumble, you are bringing about something in my eyes that is worthy of the death penalty. So I looked up the death penalty this week because I was just interested. And I don't know what your take on the death penalty is. And if I were to say who's against it, who's in favor of it, we'd have different things. I do know this. The issue is justice. So I went to the U.S. Department of Justice. 
and I was just looking at crimes. And in our justice system, we have what are called misdemeanors. Misdemeanors are, I wrote this down, they are, quote, less serious crimes. It's a crime, but it's less serious. Are we all in agreement there are some crimes that are less serious than others? Right? Then you've got felonies. Now, with felonies, there are third-degree felonies, there are second-degree felonies, and then there are first-degree felonies. There are multiple kinds of felonies. Now, felonies are bigger than misdemeanors. But at the top of the heap of the felonies, there are capital offenses, the highest of which are those which warrant, in our government's eyes, the death penalty, and there's different death penalties in different states, and the idea that the, for the government is this is only imposed on defendants convicted of capital offenses, murder, treason, genocide, kidnapping, killing a congressman, president, or Supreme Court justice. Now, the reason I bring it up is because Jesus is giving us a teaching right now where he says, I think you guys consider some things to be misdemeanors that are not only not misdemeanors, they're not only not third degree, second degree, first degree felonies. There are things that you, in the culture that you live, you might not even think they're crimes at all. Your culture is gonna tell you there's nothing wrong. Your culture is gonna say, go live your life, do your thing, you're responsible to nobody, do whatever you wanna do. Your culture is gonna say, that's not a misdemeanor, that's not a felony, and I'm telling you, justice is not what a Supreme Court says is right. Justice is not what a popular vote says is right. According to Jesus, justice is that which the king of the universe says is right. And the king of the universe says, it doesn't matter what your government says. If it goes against my law, you will one day answer to me. And Jesus says, when you cause the little ones to stumble, you are guilty of a capital offense. So right now, there's, there's been the rise and fall of all sorts of mega ministries and celebrity preachers and, and celebrity Christianity and all the stuff. And, and they say the number of people that have been in churches or the number of people that have, have de deconstructed at best, deconverted, ultimately the number of people that are saying, I will never go back to a church. I will never go back to, to be among Christians again when they have watched the, the hypocrisy, when they've watched this, some of the stories that have been told is that ministries that took years to build and they reached this many people in the crashing of them, this many people have now been made to stumble and said, I'll never even give it the time of day. And they won't even go and listen to the words of Jesus now because of what's been done. And Jesus says, woe to you who make little ones stumble. Woe to you. There's Ex, I read the stories of ex-missionaries and ex-pastors and they, they come off the mission field or they leave ministry or, or let's just be honest, just all sorts of people and they, they, they go on social media and they, and they post their thoughts because everyone feels like I've got the right to say what it's a, this is what our country has told us. We have been discipled to think it is a free country. I have a right to free speech. I should be able to say whatever I want to say and you need to deal with my truth. To which Jesus says, Go speak your stuff, but if your stuff makes little ones stumble, the Supreme Court may say not guilty, but you're danger in someone else's eyes. You've got a danger in someone else's estimation. I think about the last election cycle we had. The last couple of elections we had were somewhat brutal for the, the Christian church. In some ways, this sermon is a bit of a preemptive strike on the next election that's going to be coming up. I thought about calling this sermon 
how to not be idiots during the next election, but I'm not going to call it that because that's not a good word to use. I remember talking to someone that was weeping as they found out, whenever people find out what I do for a living, like I was at the gym the other day, and she was like, wait, do you, do I recognize you? And I'm like, oh, they're like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a writer. <laughs> I write sermons every week, you know what I mean? <laughs> and someone just started weeping. Coming out of that last election cycle, just so toxic, what they heard from religious people. I just remember looking in their eyes saying, you know, I'm done with church forever. You know, we've been deceived because our world has normalized this line of thought that says everyone should be able to speak their mind. Everybody's got their rights. You do you. I'll do. I'll do me. I'm living my life. You got to live your life. Live your best life. I should be able to say whatever I want. I should be able to buy whatever I want. I should be able to go wherever I want. I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to post on social media whatever I want. Live my life is what my culture has normalized and discipled me into a world that says, go live your life. Let me give you the crazy words of Jesus. Your life is not your own. The United States of America does not believe this. I've got a right, and, I, and we assert our rights. And Jesus says, my life, your life is not your own. I want you to care for people more than you compete with people. I want you to have compassion for people more than you do comparison with people. And when you live a life where every room you walk and you're wondering who's the greatest here, you're never going to get what Jesus is my, in a world that is obsessed with the biggest ones, Jesus wants us obsessed with the little ones. Because your life is not your own. Who are the little ones? The, the little ones are, are the, they're the ones that are weak. They're, they're the ones that are vulnerable in any, in any given situation. And in this case, Jesus is talking about people that are starting to believe in him. And, 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 they're, and they're vulnerable. And, and, and when you just start to walk with Jesus, there's a vulnerability to to you and to your faith. And so Jesus says, I, I want you to live a life where you're recognizing your life is not your own, and I want you to live for my glory, but for the sake of little ones around you. And the question is, how do we do such a thing as that? And I think he gives us the ideas in this very passage. The first thing I see of, of how we can live this out is, is right here in verse two, when he called a little child to himself, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Number one, the, the way to live out what Jesus is describing, how do you not get a millstone thrown around your neck? How do you not blow this next election? Number one, take the lowly position. Some versions of yours will say, whoever humbles himself. I think this is a graphic word. I like this. Take the lowly position in a world that says, I want to ride shotgun, and I want to be important, and I want people to see me, and I want to get first in line, and, and you get behind me. What he says is take the lowly position. It's interesting. He calls a child, and the child comes, and he says, unless you turn or change and become, let me slow down. Unless you change and become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Please do not miss this. The disciples are having an argument about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus looks at them and says, 
you don't get it, guys, not only are you not the greatest, you're in danger of not even getting in the kingdom of heaven. There are some of us that are, that are having thoughts about how do we live our best lives in and, and this earth and get as esteemed as we could possibly get. And Jesus is like, do you not understand what an irrelevant question it is? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, what a foolish question. What a toxic question. What a bad line of thought. There are some of you that are in this room right now that maybe been wondering about greatness in the kingdom. And I'm, I'm telling some of you online right now, there are some of us under the sound of my voice, and I want to say it gently, you're in danger of not even getting into the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' day, children, he calls his child children were not. I, I, I'm, in our day, I, I realize it's, it's a different thing. When I, when I say your life is not your own, every parent in this room, under, like I have eight children, all right? As soon as you have a child, your theme verse in life should become, your theme statement should become, my life is not my own, my life is not my own. Because every room I walk in when my kids are there, like, let me tell you what my, my kids do not do. What my kids do not do, like, if there's three of my eight kids in the back seat, we said, hey, let's go get some food. Let me tell you what the kids have never said. Hey, kids, where should we go? The kids have never said, mom, dad, where would you like to go? <laughs> They've never said, you know what? We realize you have tastes that we don't have, but you know what? We just want to die to ourselves. They don't do that. I have three kids in the back seat with three different options, none of which are the ones that Ruthie and I want to go to, all of which are very different. We get five minutes in the conversation, and then one of them will say, I hate you all. I hate you all. <laughs> and that's when we hit the eject seat button in the car. In our minds, we go through that, right? Because as a parent, you come to realize the days of just having a car full of people, and you're going to go where you want to go? It's comical. Like, it is literally comical, the thought that my kids would be like, you know what? Nah, we're going to die to self to please our dad or our mom. No. When you become a parent, this is what you're saying, I hereby die <laughs> to self. Now, what you find in parenting and what you find in the kingdom of heaven is that when you die to the right stuff, there is always a resurrection that makes the death a thousand times worth it. The nature of Jesus is that when you follow Jesus, there are all these little deaths where you die daily, but what happens is Jesus doesn't keep you dead because he's the forerunner. He's the one that died, but he didn't stay dead. He got up, just to be clear. Jesus, I recognize you. You're alive. Can I get an amen? amen? He's not dead. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a man on a cross. He's alive. He's got fire in his eyes. This man, God, King, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, he is lit. All right, let's just be clear. He's going. He's strong. But first, there's death. See, this is why taking the lowly position can be hard, and it's difficult for us because even when we, let me flip the metaphor now, little children in Jesus' day, when he says become like a little child, in Jesus' day, little children were like property. Children had no esteem. Children were unimportant. No one was asking, hey, kids on the back of the camel, where do you want to go today? Do you want to go to Abib's, you know, hummus shop, you know? None of them are saying that. They're, 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 you're doing whatever dad tells you you're going to do because in Jesus' day, children, 
Their opinions did not matter. They were of no importance. They were never taken seriously. There was no status associated at all. And we're in a world where we want status. I want to be important. I want to be taken seriously. I want to be respected. I live in a culture, if I don't compete, if I don't exert myself, if I don't assert myself, if I'm not smart, if I'm not respected, I can't be happy. I'm totally concerned about my position, my status, what other people say. And Jesus says, that is the way to hell. Give it up. Now, none of us are stupid enough to say, Lord, am I the greatest? We don't do that. We just go make our decisions. We buy stuff based on what will make me look the greatest. We post, does anyone ever post stuff online? Like, let me post something online that's the lowly position right now. Have any of you ever taken 50 selfies and you're like, what would be the lowliest selfie to post? (laughs) Would anybody ever? We're like, we're gonna take 50 pictures We're going to download an app that modifies us so that when people look, everyone's like, who's it? Oh, yeah, that's her. That's him. I didn't think he looked that good. Because taking the lowly position is so counter everything. See, what Jesus is saying is that that children are vulnerable and little little, little ones can be tripped. And when a kid is learning to walk, don't trip him up. Don't trip her up. I remember when I first started walking with Jesus, I was vulnerable. I'll be honest. The newer the Christian, the newer the follower of Jesus, the more likely to be tripped up. Somebody gave me an information packet on the King James Bible. I had been a Christian for like two months, and someone was telling me the only version that's legitimate is the King James Version. All the others are, are evil, and they take out verses, and they do this, and there was, I, I was kind of given this little philosophy of the, of the King James Bible, which was written in 1611. And I was like, oh, man. And I was, and I got to tell you, man, I'm, I am the kind of person, and many of you are as well, that when someone tells you something, especially when you're younger and when you're newer, you're going to believe the first person that comes, and I'm like, man, well, and I started looking into it, and they kind of put things in, you know, kind of put things in my hands, like, whoa, let me look into this, let me look in, and I got to tell you, man, it was really making me, it was tripping me up. Like, I was really, I, I was really, just so you all know, the Bible was not written in 1611 English. The scripture was written in Greek and in Hebrew, maybe some Aramaic, but what you've got is the, the scriptures, we translate them. Like the modern translations that we have, they come from the original Greek, and there are multiple ways that you, you're, we're trying our best in 21st century English to translate what was said in the first century. So there are words that they did not use in the first century that we now use. There are words like we just use the word love, which is very different. The word homosexual was not used in the first century. There's a lot of words that have, there's all these TikTok debates that pop up online. Everyone's like, whoa, did you know that? And they have all these things. I was getting tripped up over the King James. I, and I'm a passionate guy. And I remember I went to my pastor, Pastor Lastinger. He was the pastor before me at this church. I started following Jesus at this church. I will never be able to thank God enough that the guy that was the pastor over me was a good spiritual father. And I went to him and I'm like, Pastor, did you know? I mean, there, it, by the way, he's, he was Dr. Lastinger. He, you know, so he had his doctorate. I was like, Dr. Lastinger, did you know that the King James is the only legitimate version of the Bible? And if someone's reading another one, like people would be reading like the NIV and I'd be like, it's the devil, you know? <laughs> and I remember I would go to him and I'm like, Pastor, I gotta talk to you about this. And, and everyone wants to lay out their deal. Do you realize? And I got to tell you, man, even in my impetuous, flamboyant, wild ways, he was so gentle with me. He could have slammed me like the fool that I was for a lot of things. 
And he was so gentle with me because he did not want his answers to be a stumbling block to me. It, it was interesting when pastor would talk to me about theological things, this was what was interesting. He wasn't trying to win the argument. He was trying to keep my heart. Can you imagine if we did that when this next election season comes up? Amen. Salud. Can you imagine if during the next election season, before you post online, before you're thinking, how do I win? See, pastor wasn't trying to win points in a debate. By the way, little advice to everybody. Has anyone ever known someone that read a Facebook post, social media post, 30-second TikTok clip and said, oh my gosh, I'm convinced? Ever? Take the lowly position, Jesus says. Take the lowly position. Pastor Lastinger wasn't trying to compete with me. He was trying to father me. In an American dream that looks to get people thinking I'm better than others, my house is better, my car is better, what I posted online is better, Jesus says, your life is not your own. Take the lowly position. How do you not get a millstone around your neck? Number one, take the lowly position. Number two, how do you not get a millstone around your neck? Number two, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me. Number two, live for the little ones. Be mindful of the little ones. Every room you walk in, when you're a parent, this is the reality. As a parent, every room I walk in, I'm thinking about my most vulnerable child. I'm thinking about, is my child safe? When I take my kids to Orlando and I'm on international drive, I just want to go take a walk and say, kids, take care of yourself. I can't or I shouldn't. Because what you do now, like if I go to a theme park with my children, I'm mindful of the little ones. He says, if you make the little ones stumble. Be, see, we've been more devoted to making our political points than saving people's spiritual lives. This was proven last election season. People that have been followers of Jesus for years are determined to make their right-wing point, their left-wing point. They're going to make their point. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, you deal with it. I live in a free country. I can say whatever I want. Jesus says, get your neck ready for the millstone. Well, how should I be thinking? You should be asking, if you're conservative, how would this affect a liberal little one? If you're liberal, you should be asking, how would this affect a conservative little one? If you're a male, you should be asking, how does this statement, how does this comment affect a female little one? If you're a female, you're about to do, make some statement, do something, how does this affect a male little one? But we're in a world that instead of thinking in terms of these, we think in terms of labels. I'd rather label somebody because once I label you of that label, I now get to pound at the label and, not, and be able to say, I wasn't pounding you. It's always interesting when you're talking to an actual person you get gentle, you get soft, you get, you're like, oh, there's nuance. You realize, oh, they have a story. They've got trauma just like me. They've got a past just like me. Oh, and, and, and it, but what we love about the labels is you get to go make your points. And what we don't realize is that there's a watching world that's around us. They're watching us and they're stumbling and stumbling and deconverting and, and deconstructing and, and falling over here and tripping over there. And we're like, listen, it's a free country. It's my life. I live my life. You live your life. Jesus says, your life is not your own. That's what Jesus said. You see, you, when you start to live for the little ones, you read the story of the first question asked to God, I think, was when God comes to Cain. He's like, Cain, like, where, where's your brother? Cain had just murdered his brother Abel. And Cain's like, do you remember what he said? 
am I my brother's keeper? I always imagine like in a Brooklyn accent. You know, I don't know what the Brooklyn accent is, but I imagine, am I my brother's keeper? You know, something like that. Like the Sopranos, you know, something like that. I don't know if they're Sopranos. They're probably not from Brooklyn. I don't know where. To which God is like, yes, you are your brother's keeper. Am I responsible for how people react to what I write on social media? Yes. A thousand times, yes. Am I responsible for what someone thinks by the way that I, yes. Now let me tell you what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying right now is that you need to hyperventilate about stuff and be like, well, wait a minute. Uh, like that verse that said, um, don't let your good be spoken of as, of as evil or avoid even the appearance. Have you ever seen that? Avoid even the appearance of evil. Who's heard that verse before? That's in the King James. In every version except for King James, it says, avoid the form of evil. What I'm not saying right now, because I have felt this, especially when I started following the Lord, I, I felt that pressure of like trying to always look like I'm cleaner than I am or, or like I got to be worried. Does this look like I'm doing something wrong? The issue is not image maintenance. The issue is care for the little ones. I could care less if you've got the appearance of evil. Like someone sees me drinking an IBC root beer and someone told me that one time. Well, what if someone thinks you're drinking a beer? I was like, well, then they think I'm drinking a beer. I'm drinking IBC root beer right now. That's, well, it's got the word beer in it. I'm like, you've got issues. You know, you really do. Now, if the person said to me, I'm offended by that, I'm then gonna ask them, how long have you been a Christian? To which if they say, 25 years. To which I would then say, I need you to part your mustache, pull the bottle out of your mouth, pull up your pants, and grow up. Because he's talking about little ones. If you make little ones stumble. If you've been a Christian for decades now, I'm sorry, you're supposed to stop getting offended by stuff. You are. When someone says, like, Pastor Mike, I've been walking with Jesus for 53 years and I just need you to know I was offended by what was said. I'm like, okay. And? Well, I want you to do something. Do what? What about the millstone? The millstone refers to people that are causing little ones to stumble. You know how to walk. I'm just saying that's what the passage is. What we have are, if we're honest, highly offendable mature believers that have disregarded how their quarrels are making little ones stumble. And Jesus says, there's way more millstones coming your way than you realize. I'm not trying to be harsh, man. I, I want to, let me say it smiling, you know. Let me be kind. Let, let me be like a TV preacher. God loves you, friends. Because he does. Let me tell a joke. Why the chicken cross the road? I'm sorry. I should not do that. <laughs> the, the other day, I was, I was in a, um, a conversation with my wife, with Ruthie, and, and it was getting heated. It was like a heat. It, it was an argument. You could call it an argument. I like to think of it as a truth discussion <laughs> where I was speaking my truth. She was speaking a half-truth. Isn't it funny how it's always, it's my truth, but for you it's a half-truth or a lie or a deception? Isn't that so interesting, you know? And so I was, we were, we were having one of these, and it was, it was getting a little heated, and the door was not shut to our room, and I'm not sure that would have mattered, actually, because Ruthie can get very loud. <laughs> not really, not really. And, and at one point, one of my kids comes by, and they just kind of peek their head, and they're like, 
Hey, is everything okay? And I just looked at him, and that's when it hit me. Like, one day he's going to have a wife. And I just thought about how I'm training him to one day stand at an altar where he is going to make a vow where he's going to say, I'm going to love you as Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And here I am talking to Ruthie in a way where I'm trying to make my point and we're kind of going at it. I'm making my point. She's making her and like this and, and it hits me in me standing up for my rights. I'm about to make a little one stumble. And in my mind, it was like fast forwarding. What's it going to be like in 15 years when he's in a room with his spouse and he's having one of these conversations and we're imitative creatures. We just do what we've seen. And he's going to think it's okay for a man to talk to his wife the way I was talking. About. I wasn't being abusive. It wasn't that. It was, it was not loving. It wasn't compassionate. It wasn't kind. It wasn't, it wasn't sweet. It wasn't like Jesus speaks to me. And I looked at him and in my mind, I'm like, man, there's so much more at stake right now because here's this guy that sees a dad get up and talk about how great Jesus is, and then if he's talking to his mother like this, it's just not right. And I had to repent. I just had, I repented to Ruthie, to him, to our family, because I'm making disciples, and even though I live in a culture that has told me, listen, hey man, it's natural. It's, we have normalized things that Jesus says are worthy of the death penalty. And my heart just broke. I'm like, man, God, I haven't known. I didn't, I didn't see something other than that model. That's not what I've seen. And even the Christian world that I saw the last 10 years has been a Christian world where everyone's asserting their rights. And Jesus says, your life is not your own. Take the lowly position. Can you imagine how much we would turn the world upside down if we did this? Can you imagine when you go back to work, if, if you just took the lowly, if every room you walk in, if we lived for the little ones, what does this mean? I think it means before you post on social media, the question isn't just, am I right? Can I get, like, get, out of that, get out of that side of your brain. What if before you post, you're like, what effect does this have on the little ones? Because the little ones are watching. The little ones, they're walking by. When I'm watching all these people, they're like, man, I'm just going to go ahead and speak my stuff. I'm going to lay all my junk. Man, I'm just keeping it real. You know, friends, Jesus never said, keep it real when you're keeping it real. It's destroying the children. Moms and dads, we're going to blow. When we do, let's go repent. Let's let them know. I know that seems normal because the world that we live in calls that normal. Jesus calls it evil. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We, we, we live for the little ones. You're supposed to ask, what effect does this purchase have on other people? What effect does living in this house have? What effect does making these comments? What effect does using this language? What effect does, but what if I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not saying you're walking around worried about what everyone thinks. I am saying when I find out that the effect that I'm doing on a little one is devastating, catastrophic, catastrophic or destructive, I switch my mind and say, wait a minute, I have the right to, I have every right in the world to do X, Y, Z, but if it's making a little one stumble, I will give up my rights because my life 
is not, it's not my own. It belongs to Jesus. And my life at some level belongs to you guys. Sometimes I'll be at the gym and some guy came up to me recently. He's like, hey, I've been watching you. I've been coming. I don't know if you're here now, but I've been coming to Greenhouse. And I'm watching how you act around people at the gym. I'm, I'm seeing how you look at some of the females walking by. I'm like, oh, good, I think. Your life is not your own. Last thing Jesus says here is, if you call someone to stumble, it be better. He says, woe to the world when all this stuff happens. He says, but in verse eight, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. How do, I, how do we apply this, this sermon? I, I think it means that we, every, anywhere we go, we, we need to be ready to shift gears. Like you'll be in a, conversation with your wife and you're in adulting mode and you find out there's little ones, you shift gears. You're on social media and you realize, oh, wait a minute, where people are stumbling and you shift gears. You're in a meeting this week and, and, you, and you shift gears. I was in a meeting this past week. We had like a prayer meeting with some college students at our house. And so there was maybe 40 or 50 college students there. I just asked the question, who here speaks Spanish? It was like 20 out of 40 or 50 people spoke Spanish, some of which barely speak English. Now, I don't speak great Spanish. I speak mildly decent, okay, kindergarten Spanish, all right? And, but I realize when there's people in the room that only speak Spanish, even though it's easier for me to speak my native language, I will shift gears for the sake of the person from another country in my living room, in a prayer meeting, in a room full of people, gotta feel awkward, and be like, okay, wait a minute, let me shift gears. Guess what language I switched over to? Church, can we just go speak some Spanish? Everyone say, Gloria a Dios. And if, hasta la vista. Someone's ready for the sermon to be over. She said, hasta la vista. <laughs> you, you know, I, there, was a, there was a pastor that I, I used to love to listen to, and I, I would listen to him years ago, and every time I would listen to him, he would just stir up mocking in my heart. I just had to stop listening to him. Like he, I would find myself preaching on Sundays, less compassionate and more comparison. He stirred up. Like, the, I think this is what he means when he says, if your right hand causes you to send, cut it off. I don't think he's talking about your hand. If, if you're struggling with lust, and you're like, I know the, the problem's my right hand. That's the, no, you could chop your right hand off. You'll still find a way to lust. The problem is somewhere else. And what I will say is the, the body of Christ has many members in the scriptures we find. There was a time in the church at Corinth when one of the members of the body was leading other people to sin. Paul said, you need to get that member out of the body because you'd be better off having the body be healthy. With that. I don't think when Jesus has cut off one of the members, he is not saying you need to physically gouge out an eye. He's not saying you need to physically take off. I'll tell you what he is saying. There might be some contacts in your cell phone that you need to delete because they consistently call you to stumble. There might be some microchurches where a microchurch leader needs to go to someone and say, bro, you keep on making little ones stumble. You need to not come back until you repent. And they're like, how dare you? I thought this, everyone's welcome here. No, everyone is welcome, but we are especially watching out for the vulnerable and the weak and the needy. And by the way, that could be any of us at any given time. At any given moment, you shift to care for the least powerful person in the room. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And church, I want us to be like that. Instead of kissing up to the power players of culture, I think we've got an opportunity. The church failed the last two elections. Let's go nail this next election. 
Let's be the brightest shining stars during the entire political season. When everyone gets crazy again, when everyone goes nuts again, let's be so different than everybody else and everything else where people are like, what in the world? How in the world? Why in the world? And our answer is because my life is not my own. I belong to somebody else. What do you mean you belong to somebody else? I belong to Jesus. He bought me with his blood. He paid for me on a cross. He died for me. He bled for me. He was buried for me. And he rose for me. And because he rose, I'm alive too. And so you know what? I do want to have esteem. I do want to be important. I do want to be respected. I do want to be the greatest. If I'm honest, all of us in here have a little Messiah complex. All of us want to be the goats. But there's something wise about realizing there's only one goat. It is the irony of the passage, and this is where I end it. The disciples come and they say, they're talking to the one who is the greatest in the kingdom. And they say to him, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Is anyone else catching the irony? Jesus, we just got to know. Appreciate all your teachings. You're a really good teacher. Love all the, you raise the dead, heal the sick, walk on water. Super cool. Who's the greatest? And then Jesus, he paints the picture, and he preaches the gospel. Give me a kid. A child comes up. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom. Whoever takes this lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Has anybody ever taken a lower position than the day when the king of glory took on flesh and became a child. Born not in a palace, but among peasants in a manger where he became like one of us so that he could save us. Has there ever been a lower move? Has there ever been a more humble play? Has there ever been a king that gave his life for the subjects like our king did? Has there ever been someone that more lived the lowly position, living for the little ones? Has there ever been anyone that's done what Jesus did? Friends, I promise you, no one ever loved you better than Jesus loved you on the cross. <laughs> Lord, who's the greatest? Oh, he's the greatest. If you have not given him your life, this is my announcement to you. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he took the lowest road possible where he paid the death penalty. Why is, why is making people stumble such a big deal? Because number one, people are a big deal to God. He cares about people. And number two, because sin's a much bigger deal than we don't believe this. The wages of sin is death. Why would Jesus say, if you cause little ones to sin, you're, it's a death penalty? Why? Because the wages of sin is death. There are some of you even right now that are living in your sin. I have to tell you, the wages of sin is death. We don't think it. We don't believe it. We can't see it. We don't detect it. But Jesus says, beware, beware. The reason the millstone is the punishment is because sin kills the people that Jesus adores. And if you're living in your sin, man, run from it. It's not worth it. It's, not, it's, like I, it's like a death. Every time you repent, it's a little death. You're like, man, I got to die. That's what repentance is. I die to that. But I'm telling you, when you die, you get raised. And it's so much better when you get, but you got to, there's a death. There's a repentance first. If, if you're living with someone you're not married to, like our culture is so, even this week, there was a politician that was at a prayer breakfast giving the speech and is making the statement about how, yep, I'm just, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, rolled out of bed with my fiance. And, and there, it just, and it's, it's become normalized that we think sin is not, and God says sin is deadly. 
It's like E. coli on the plate. You're like, oh, I can't really see it. It couldn't be that bad. It's deadly. And how do I know? Because Jesus pays the ultimate price for he goes up on a cross. Jesus knows the death penalty better than anyone in this room because Jesus paid the death penalty for everyone in this room. Your life is not your own. But I got better news than that. Your life belongs to him. And if you'll give it to him, he'll give it back to you. And then you're going to live the abundant life. Let's pray. God, I pray that this body is going to have your nature and that you will let us change and become like you. Who else is like you? I close out this sermon just saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus, you are the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) And we praise you.